be seated. Good to see everyone this morning. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to open up with me to Psalm number 33. Psalm number 33. A quote that is uh, attributed to Hal Lindsey um, says this, Man can live about 40 days without food, about three days without water, about eight minutes without air, but only for one second without hope. Now, we might could uh, debate some of the conjectures of Lindsay's quote, but the point is very clear. We need hope. And on this Sunday after Thanksgiving, and in many traditions, they celebrate what what is called Advent. And uh, if you if you look at look at Advent and um, the candles that are lit and so forth, the first Sunday that candle that is lit represents hope. And so we're going to kind of look at that from that mindset, and we're going to really zone in on the last little part of Psalm 33, but I want to read all of the Psalms. So if you are uh, willing and able, please stand for the reading of God's uh, Word this morning. In Psalm number 33, this Psalm, we don't know the author, that does not have a subscript. It has some affinities with Psalm 2, which uh, Brother Aachen mentioned last Sunday uh, when he looked at Psalm number one, um, but we don't we don't know the we don't know the author, but it has to do with kingship, and we'll see that in just a moment. Shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous! Praise befits the upright. Give thanks to the Lord with the lyre. Make melody to Him with the harp of ten strings. Sing to Him a new song. Play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. For the word of the Lord is upright, and all his work is done in faithfulness. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth all their host. He gathers the waters of the sea as a heap. He puts the deeps in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of Him. For He spoke, and it came to be. He commanded, and it stood firm. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of His heart to all generations Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom he has chosen as his heritage. The Lord looks down from heaven. He sees all the children of man. From where he sits enthroned, he looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth. He who fashions the hearts of them all and observes all their deeds. The king is not saved by his great army. A warrior is not delivered by his great strength. The war horse is a false hope for salvation, and by its great might it cannot rescue. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast 
love, that he may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield, for our heart is glad in him because we trust in his holy name. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us, even as we hope in you. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, God, that we have hope. And so, Lord, I pray over these next few moments that you would just point our minds and our hearts to hope. And, God, I pray that they would be strengthened, not with just human words, but by your word. We ask this in the name of Jesus. For his sake we pray, amen. Hope. Yesterday we we laid a dear friend to rest and one of the refrains in in both my comments and uh, the other preacher's comments were that we grieve with hope. And we need hope. In the midst of uh, turmoil within our nation, we need hope. In the midst of chaos in the world, we need hope. Uh, In the midst of our sports teams struggling but seemingly doing a little better, we need hope, right? And and signs of improvement are signs of hope. We need that. We need need hope. And that gets back to that quote that I shared with you. And, and, And today we want to look really these last few verses, but really stir that thought in us. So zone in, if you will, at verse 13, and we're going to kind of spend a a few moments here just kind of looking specifically at these verses. I mentioned that it has affinities to Psalm number 2. So let's read here again and then flip over to Psalm 2 and we kind of compare the two Psalms. The Lord looks down from heaven. He sees all the children of man. From where he sits enthroned, he looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth. So that thought of the Lord in heaven looking down on mankind, he sits enthroned, okay? So he is the king. He is the one that is high and lifted up. He is the one in control. He doesn't answer to anybody else. He sits enthroned, okay? So hold what you got and flip over to Psalm number 2. All right, Psalm 2 says, Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. So the context of Psalm 2 is all of the nations of earth plotting together to throw off the yoke of the Yahweh's reign, okay? That's what it's saying, the nations, the peoples, the kings, and the rulers, okay? So all of humanity saying, we don't need you. You think you're in control, but listen, I'm my own boss. You can't tell me what to do. I'm going to throw this off. And so that's the the setting verses 1 through 3 gives us. Okay? It's like a tag team match, all of the world against the Lord and His anointed, His Messiah. Okay? Uh, specifically, we know fulfilled in Jesus, but here in Psalm 2, probably thinking just about the Davidic king. 
Okay? And look at what then it says. Verse 4 in Psalm 2. He who sits in the heavens laughs. So see there. There's one who sits in the heavens. Okay? Kind of similar to that refrain in Psalm 33 that he is up in heaven looking down on man. Okay? Looking down on the children of man. Okay? So this idea that God sees what's going on and sees the rebellion uh, in Israel, but not only in Israel, in all people. Okay? So it says, He who sits in the heavens laughs, the Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. All right, so the king of heaven, Yahweh, looks down, sees mankind coming up with its own plans for how they don't need God and how God is dead and there is no God and we'll do our own thing. And it says the one who sits in heaven laughs and says, no, I've decided who's going to rule and listen, I've set my king on Zion, my holy hill. Now we know that fulfillment of this, Jesus is that fulfillment. Okay, if you keep looking in Psalm 2, I will tell of the decree the Lord said to me, you are my son, today I have begotten you. And you see how the New Testament, we're not going to go there for time's sake, but the New Testament saw that and realized, yes, Jesus was that fulfillment. He was that son of David who would reign forever and ever and ever and ever. Okay, So the context of Psalm 2 is the rebellion of people against a holy God and the holy God saying, no, you can't have it your way. I will set my king and you must bow and surrender completely to him. Okay, Now, if you fast forward in Psalm 33, go back to there, that's kind of the idea. The Lord looks down. He sees not just Israel here. Okay, If you look in Psalm 33, verse 13, he sees all the children of man. So not just Israel, but all of the Gentiles too. This is the king that reigns over all of them, okay? The king of Israel is the king of all. From where he sits enthroned, he looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth. He who fashions the hearts of them all, okay? So he who made them, spoke them into existence, was there from the moment of conception, breathing life into each one of these, okay? He fashions them all. He observes all their deeds. We've got a very personal king who sits over everything. You with me? Okay? So he sits enthroned, he who fashions all of it. All right? This is the one who looks down. And then here I think, I think Psalm 33 functioned as, as worship, but also kind of, all right, King, son of David, let me shake you and make sure you understand where your hope comes from, where your authority comes from, where your power comes from. Okay? There is a throne, there is one who sits over all. He sits over Israel, he sits over Gentiles and king, whatever, he sits over you. Okay? He fashioned your heart, he observes your deeds. So I want you to know this, king. Verse 16, the king is not saved by his great army. A warrior is not delivered by his great strength. The war horse is a false hope for salvation. 
Okay, so what we what we don't put our hope in this morning is we don't put our hope in our strength. Okay, King of Israel, don't put your strength in a great army. That's not where your hope lies. A warrior does not his strength. He's not delivered by his great strength. Salvation and deliverance does not come by the power we have. The war horse is a false hope for salvation. By its great might, it cannot rescue. Isn't that a glorious picture when we compare to what we know from later in the Old Testament? In Zechariah 9.9, it talked about Israel's king was not going to be coming on a war horse. He was going to be coming what? On a donkey. And we see that fulfilled then in the New Testament when Jesus triumphantly uh, enters Jerusalem riding on a colt, riding on a donkey, okay, fulfilling that prophecy. Okay, humble, meek, and mild, uh, entering Jerusalem to fulfill what God had brought him to. Israel, all this time ago, says, no, this is not, this is not how you're saved. This is not how you're delivered. This is not how you're rescued. It's not by your strength. So today, listen, whether you feel as good as you've ever felt or whether you feel awful, okay, you, your hope is not in your strength. Your hope is not in your wealth, okay? Whether you've got any or don't, okay? And that's, all of that is temporal. Your hope is not in, uh, definitely not in your health. Your hope is not in a politician, okay? Regardless of what side of the aisle that politician is on. Your hope is not in a government. Your hope is not in church. Your hope is not in a pastor. Your hope is in the Lord. Amen, church? And listen, that's what we look forward to. But thinking in context of Advent... Okay, this is what hope is not. It's not this, this, it's in him. So let me, I'm jumping ahead of myself. Let me go back to verse 18. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast love. Do you see that, that, all right, this is, this, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, their hope, our hope on those who hope in his steadfast love, that he may deliver. He's the one who saves. He's the one who rescues, that he may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. Our soul waits for the Lord. Okay? So listen, we are in an in-between time church. And to be quite frank and honest, we've always been in an in-between time. Okay? We are not living for here and now. And listen, I really want to urge all of us to get that out of our minds. We want COVID gone, okay? We want this uncertainty gone. We want two services gone. We want all, and we want back to normal. I, I know we do. I know you do. I know I do. But what we've got to make sure we hold on to is that we've always been in an in-between time where everything is not as it ought to be. Okay? It, it began at Adam and Eve and will stay that way until the Lord Jesus triumphantly returns. Okay? And cr- all of his enemies are crushed and thrown in the lake of fire. We live in that in-between time and we're groaning against it. Creation is groaning against it and we've got to understand that we wait for the Lord. Okay? We wait for the Lord. We count every blessing we can. We, we, we're, we're thankful. We're grateful. But we understand that we still groan in an imperfect place. Okay? We still groan against 
all kinds of trouble, and we place our hope in His steadfast love. So let me just kind of tie it together quick. This is short this morning, mainly because we're doing the Lord's Supper, and we got Sunday school, and so I'm trying to talk faster than I normally do. I, I, I hope I'm making a little bit of sense. But for Israel, and thinking about Advent in particular, their hope was trusting that the Lord would fulfill His promise. And they groaned through all kinds of seasons and periods. And when I say season, I'm talking about decades, okay? Not just a few months, decades of exile, decades of struggle, centuries even, okay? That they looked and they longed and they looked back to texts like Psalm number 2 where there was a son of David that, that the Lord had enthroned to reign forever and ever and ever and ever. And they trusted that the Lord was going to be faithful in his promise. And they hoped in his steadfast love. Okay, They hoped, they, they, they put their trust in, in passages like 2 Samuel 7. Where it said that a, th- a son of David would reign on the throne forever and ever and ever and ever. And they lived in that time where... There wasn't a throne for a son of David to sit on. There wasn't a kingdom. And so their hope was in the steadfast love of the Lord. They trusted in His promise. Okay, So the hope for Israel is that God was going to be faithful to His promise. Okay, Now, let's fast forward. The hope for Gentiles. Look in Colossians chapter uh, 1. Go with me, if you will, to the New Testament, Colossians chapter 1. Let's just start looking at uh, verse 25. Of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his his saints. All right, so Paul is saying, listen, this is why God called me to be a minister, to make known this word of God, which is a mystery, okay? And again, he's kind of speaking of the coming to faith of Gentiles here. Verse 27 To them, God uh, chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. All right, so Israel's hope was that God was going to be faithful to his promises. And now in the New Testament, Paul says, listen, I've, I've come to make known to the Gentiles this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Okay, so this is not just for Israel's hope that the Messiah would come, but now on this side of things, Paul is saying, listen, I'm I'm come to tell you that Christ in you is the fulfillment of God's promise. So you and I put our hope not in that God's going to be faithful to a promise, but that God has already been faithful to a promise. You with me? We put our faith in in an event that has happened. 
God, when the, in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law to redeem those who were born under the law. Paul says in Galatians 4. Okay, so he sent his son. So we hope in his steadfast love that God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him would not perish but have everlasting life. It's the hope for Israel. It's the hope for Gentiles. And I want to just hammer it home real quickly. It is the hope for you. So let's make it real personal and kind of move into our time of response. Okay. This is not just some big message that kind of ties big general. I mean, it's the message of the Bible, okay? That we have hope in God doing a work. God was faith, God promised. God was faithful to the promise. He sent forth His Son, and this is our hope. But I just want I want to I want to make it personal. This is your hope as well, okay? Don't put your hope in your strength. Don't put your hope in your wealth. Don't put your hope in a, pre- in a preacher. Don't put your hope in a, in, in, a, in a politician, in a government, in a, anything else. Your hope must be that Christ is in you. You're hoping in the steadfast love of God, that regardless of what circumstances tell you, Okay? If you just look at your circumstances, you may be convinced that God is not there, that God does not care, that God is away somewhere else, that maybe there is no God. Don't listen to your feelings. Don't listen to your circumstances. Don't listen to those things because they can be very deceitful. Jeremiah even says the the heart is deceitful above all things. Put your hope in the stead of fast love of the Lord. That's where salvation comes from. That's where deliverance comes from, Psalm 33 said. Remember, not in a war horse, not in a great army, not in might, not in these things, but for those who fear the Lord. Those who fear the Lord. Let me pray. We're going to sing a hymn of invitation, and then we'll do the Lord's Supper. If you've not ever done these before, uh, remember, both are in this one thing, okay? So if you get to juice before you got to bread, you went too far, okay? I say that because that's, that's me every time up here, okay? So let's pray. We'll, we'll respond, and then we'll take the supper. Father, we love you, and we praise you. And God, I ask that you just remind us of that hope. Lord, I know uh, it's easy to become despondent. Lord, it's easy when there's sickness all around us, when we debate and struggle on decisions to make. Do, do we get together with family? And if we do, do we then not uh, do other things? And Lord, as a church, as we make decisions about, well, do we open or do we not? And how do we do the, Lord, it's easy to become very discouraged. And so, Lord, I'm, I'm grateful for the reminder that our hope is not in those things. Our hope is not in everything being as it's always been. Our hope is in the steadfast love of the one who made us. God, thank you for that reminder this morning. And I pray, Lord, that you would speak to us. Lord, if anyone needs to respond, I pray that you would help us to respond. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.
you will, stand with us as we sing a hymn of response. And again, after we do that, we'll enter into a time of observing the supper.